Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and, and look at your word and have you teach what you'd have us to learn. And we, and we just thank you and ask you to bless those that hear this. In your son's precious name, amen. All right, we're going to be studying, as you said earlier, beloved. And we're actually going to start in Colossians 3 on this. All right, Colossians. Put on. Can we read it? Well, we're going to. Re- I'm going to read through 17. But if you want oh, to read. Okay. I'm going to read 12. Okay. Well, let me read. That way, it gets on the recorder easier. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all these things, put on love, or agape, which is the bond of perfectness, and let the peace of God rule your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you, you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the, and the Father by him. All right, looking at beloved, the idea of the word beloved, uh, it's not a word we use a lot in today's language, but it, it literally means uh, dear, loved, uh, uh, darling, <laughs> uh, the person who is loved. And God speaks us, of us as his beloved, the ones that he chooses to love. And I love the song uh, when we sing, Remind Me Who I Am. And the, sec- the second verse says, uh, If I'm your beloved, remind me who I am. <laughs> okay? And we often forget that we are God's beloved. And so this is why this uh, s- particular uh, who we are in Christ is important. We are his beloved. And verse 12 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And this put on, I love this Greek word for put on. It means to sink into. And it talks about being clothed. And it has that picture of just sinking into a luxurious garment and just being en- enwrapped by something that's soft and, 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 and uh, comfortable. And it says... Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, and elect means chosen, picked, uh, the best of its kind, and this is kind of an interesting idea, elect, the best of, it, of its kind. We are, because God has forgiven us, the best of the kind of humans, because we are perfect in his eyes. So we are elect by him, holy. And this is one, a lot of people don't like to use the word holy when they're referring to themselves, but it means to be set aside, sanctified. And God has set us aside. So he's saying, put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and then beloved. And that is the key. And we're going to look at the other verses on that, but beloved. We are loved of God. And this comes from the, the root word of agape. And it means that he chooses to love us. And he's not going to unlove us. And I love that, that God chooses to love us. So, and what are we to be putting on? Bowels of mercy. And bowels talks about that innermost part of our being. We talk about from the bottom of my heart. Well, the Greek and the Hebrews would talk about from their bowels, their gut. 
uh, you know, and bowels of mercy. We're to put on bowels of mercy, and mercy is that that tenderness, that compassion for people. Uh, it's it's not giving them what they deserve, and sometimes that's hard for us as humans to not give people what they deserve, and that's why it has to come from God. And we get to the place where we can learn to do that we're going to live very peacefully because we're not going to sit there trying to seek revenge. We're not going to sit there and say, well, they deserve what they get. Matter of fact, we'll be sad when they get, saddened when they get what they deserve, not, you know, because it's not what we wanted to see. We want to see them come to God and, and grow beyond, grow beyond the punishment because if we really think about it, we deserve punishment that God didn't give us. And if we don't, you know, we don't want to be punished, so why do we want others to be punished? It usually means that I get to feel good because I got punished. And God is saying, put on bowels of mercy, desire for people not to be, not to be harmed. David had the opportunity, you know, Saul was trying to kill him, and David had many opportunities to kill him and then would not. In one case, he cut the hem of his, of his uh, garment off and then showed him, see, I could have killed you. You were, <laughs> you didn't even know that I took this. Yeah. And another time he took his spear, you know, took his spear and his water and walked out of the camp with it, you know, just to show him you were at my mercy. <laughs> and we want to be able to do this with people. When people are deserve punishment, we should be praying for them not to get the punishment and being moved by God to be grown, grown with God. And that's the bowels of mercy. And this is to be kind, put on kindness. Again, that's not something that comes natural to human beings. To be kind is not a natural, natural activity. For, and humbleness of mind. I love the, this uh, humbleness. It's the deep sense of, of our moral littleness. That, that I cannot keep things. And so I, you know, if I'm being humble and I'm keeping in mind how low I am and how hard it is for me to obey, and I'm not going to sit there and judge others for their lack of obedience. And this is really critical for us to keep in mind. If I was who I, you know, if I got what I deserved, if I was treated the way I deserved, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have anything. So I've got to be able to apply that to other people. And that's part of the Christian mindset, to be like Christ to all these people, to be kind, to be, to, to remember that I deserve, I deserve the punishment as much or more than they do. And this is very important for us. And then the idea of meekness, and that's the, the a gentleness. Are we gentle with people? Yeah. And I know in my, in my flesh, if I let my flesh in, I don't want to be meek. I don't want to be gentle. I want to be harsh. I want to rule. I want to be in charge. And I need to be able to say, I need to be meek. I need to be humble. I need to allow God to work on their lives through that, through that ability to just sit back and be kind. And then the hard one, long-suffering. And it means exactly what it says. It's patience. It's suffering long when, when all you want to do is strike out at somebody. And you, God is saying, be long-suffering. And we look at God and his long-suffering with, with the people. You know, God looks at centuries and millennia you know, as a short time and yet he's long-suffering. He puts up with things for a long time before he steps in and says, okay, it's done. Is there a time when we can say it's done? Yes, but we need to make sure we're listening to God to make sure that that is, he is saying now is the time to strike, you know, to make a, make a stance. Otherwise, we're to be long-suffering and just say, okay, God, 
It's in your hands. You're the you're the right of defense. You're the you're the one that's going to make the changes. You know. And I've said it before. Sometimes God's going to say, "Take a stance," but it's very rare, very rare that He's going to say to do that. For the most part, we just sit back and say, "God, you're my refuge. You're my defense. You're my buckler. You're my shield. You're my defender. Go to it," and sit back and watch Him take care of it all. And then we get down to verse 13, forbearing one another. And I, I I've told you know, many times I said forbearing is one of those words that I love. To give up my right to demand justice. It means that I have been wronged. I have the right. I have the right to say this person deserves to be punished. But God says when we forbear with, it, with them that we are giving up our right to demand that justice. We're being like he is. We're saying, okay, we're going to let somebody else take care of it. We're going to let it be deal, dealt with. And then the second stage on that is forgiven. Forgiving. And that is to totally pardon. You know, it's one thing just to give up my right to demand your, you to, to pay for what you've done. It's a whole other thing to say you're forgiven. I don't even want to consider the issue anymore. It's pardoned. It's over. It's gone. And as powerful as forbearance is, forgiving is that next step above it. Saying, I have just, it's that idea of forgiving a debt, saying it's paid, paid in full or it no longer is in existence. And that's what God does with us. He forbears with us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives up that right to, to penalize us because of Jesus. Then he forgives us and says, I put it under the blood. I don't even remember it anymore. And that is so wonderful. And then it says, if any man have a quarrel or, or, a, or a, blame, a complaint against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do ye. So the example is, always go back, goes back to Christ. What did Christ do? As the people beat him and, and nailed him to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When he comes upon, upon the people that are breaking God's laws, Father, forgive them. He was very kind. Now the, the righteous, self-righteous, religious people, he got pretty hard on them. Because they thought they were perfect, and he wanted to make sure they understood that they weren't perfect. And it wasn't that he was being hard on them to just be hard on them, but it was, you are sinners. You are not perfect because of what you do. Because they were trying to believe, you know, pretend that they were perfect. And, and Jesus was saying, no, you're not. And he, over and over again, showed them that. And then above everything else that he's talked about, he says, put on love which is the bond of perf perfectness. And love is really where everything comes down to. God is love. He lives in us. We, we show love. People are going to feel that love. They're going to see that love. You can't pretend to love somebody. You know, it just doesn't work in the long run. People will see through it. But love, the love perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love is is what's going to keep us from worrying about everything else and worrying about problems because it is focused on God. And he's going to say, you know, we put on love, and that, that allows us to be able to forgive people. That allows us to forbear. That allows us to be kind. Because if I truly love people, I'm going to do what's best for them. And we see that all the time. When, when somebody's, it's funny to watch somebody when they, well, when they think they're in love, they're usually in, in passion or, or lust, but you watch even that level of love and the way they will you know, ignore the other person's pro, you know, negatives and 
and do whatever they can for that person. And then they really get into love. You know, come into love and love this says, I'm going to do whatever's best for my one that I love. You know, even if I'm going to hurt myself, I want them to be happy. And that's where love really comes down to it. And we're, we get told by the, the world that that's not good. You know, to, to put somebody else in front of you is never a good thing. But that is what real love is all about. When we get married and we were made one flesh, we do what's good for our spouse because it's what will bless them. And my, my desires should be secondary to their desires. And, and it works out that way. You know, you, follow so, you fall in love with somebody and they're that level and it's, you do what they like doing. You will do things that make them happy. You will, you will push down your selfish desires to let them. And then if they're doing the same thing to you, it gets to be the, that gets to be a true picture of love. Each person trying to make, let the other person be the one that is lifted up. And we, we should see it in churches where we lift each other up. There is no special place. Uh, God's gifted each person in the church to do what it is they do, whether it's teaching or helping people or cleaning or you know, praying, whatever it is that they've been gifted to do, everybody gets allowed to do what, they, what God has called them to do and the church flourishes. When everybody's trying to envy the other position, say, man, I'm, I'm nothing because I'm not a teacher, I'm nothing because I'm not doing this or, or that, and people start feeling like you know, they're, they're worthless because they're not doing something somebody else is gifted to do, then there's a problem. And they have to be learned that, you know, what is it God's called you to do? And in a church, there's plenty of things for every single person to do. There shouldn't be this big warring and battling. Uh, you know, if we have teachers in this church, great. We do more. We do more classes. We do more Bible, home Bible studies. We do all kinds of things to get them to teach. If we've got people who are really workers, you know, that do good at certain times of work, we'll lift them. We'll do more of those. But it's important. You know, if we get some musicians in here, we'll let them be musicians. I, you know, I'd love to have a whole band, even though we have a small church. It wouldn't hurt my feelings at all. Uh, but until then, we'll do with what we have. But. The whole idea of we put on love and let people be lifted up. And then it says, let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And the peace of God is quite an interesting interesting thought. Peace is harmony, con concord. But it also literally means in Greek, the tranquil state of a soul, assured of salvation through Jesus, and so fearing nothing from God, and content with their earthly lot, whatever that is. Powerful. When you think about it, so content because of your assurance of salvation that you're content with whatever God has for you. Whether it's great or small or low or high, you're saying, okay, God, I'm going to be content with much or with little. Uh, and you're saying, God, you are in it. So we let the peace of God rule in our hearts. And that rule means to control or umpire. Uh, you know, when there's, a, when there's a conflict in your heart, you let the peace of God rule or you know, make the ruling on, that, on the conflict. And, and then it says, we're called into one body and be thankful. Called into one body. We, we all have the many sm local bodies of Christ, but it's still, all those bodies are one body of Christ. 
It's uh, the Catholic Church with a small C instead of a big C. Catholic, one. Uh, universal. universal Church. Um, so, and it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with the grace of in, uh, in your hearts to the Lord. And so we let the word of Christ dwell, influence, control, abide in our hearts, uh, dwell in us richly with wisdom, applied knowledge and understanding of the word, and teaching, which is that whole idea of of discoursing and, and giving instruction and admonishing to put it, to put in your mind you know to arm arm, uh, arm put into mind one another with psalms and psalms are literally a twanging chords of an instrument so it's things like played on guitars and pianos and stuff uh, hymns which are praises to God and spiritual songs, which are literally a song of God, is literally what it means. So, and singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So our worship is for each other. It helps to admonish and bring to mind, but it is also to the Lord. So our praise to God is to Him, but it's for those around us to be brought into remembrance. So it's a pretty powerful, powerful thing. When we sing before God, it has a twofold manifestation. It's one to bring admonishment and you know to put into mind for into people's mind and the other one is just to, to lift God up. And whatsoever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God and the Father by him. And this is that whole idea. That whatever we do we do it in his name. And we've talked many times about what it means what the name means. You know, and a lot of people that I've met, you know, they think that, you know, that praying in Jesus' name is you, you give whatever prayer and then you say at the very end of it, and I do this, but, you know, in the name of Jesus. And somehow that last little tagged part is praying in his name. But it is praying in his reputation, his desires, his wants. You know, we could pray for all we want if it's not something that he wants that would bring praise to him. Tacking on in your name, in Jesus' name is not going to make it in his name and so this is important for us to understand the whole reputation of God is represented within that praying in his name his reputation is at stake now we're going to go back to Romans 7 or 1 7 and that says to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So this is, this is Paul's salutation to the Romans. So he's saying, all of you in Rome, beloved of God. Now he's not talking to every Roman citizen. He's talking to the Christians in Rome, all the Christians in Rome. The beloved of God, those that are loved by God. Beloved of God called to be saints and that is those that are called to be set aside into God's service the holy and righteous grace to you and grace as we've talked about many times is getting what we don't deserve getting all the benefits of heaven all the benefits of God and that is powerful when we think about it now, the acronym that some people will use is 
God's riches at Christ's expense, which is, is, is a good description, and yet it's a shallow description. But grace is so much more because it's everything that God has that he gives to us. Everything that we don't deserve, and we deserve punishment and, and a hard time, and this is when I, what I tell people. So often you'll hear people say, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? And the actual question should always be, why does anything good happen to all of us bad people? Because we're all bad people in, in, if God saw us for who we are. Because uh, all our righteousness is filthy rags. So the best things we can do is bad. And so God's grace to us. It, it is a wonderful grace that anything good happens to us. It's a wonderful grace that we can get into his word and learn about him. You know, and it's so important because this book tells us who God is. We don't have to guess who God is. We don't have to guess what he wants. Because he tells us who he is, what he wants. And he's sitting there saying, I want you to be living for me. We're called to be a saints. We're invited to be a saints. You know, and that's wonderful. We're, we're invited to be that. And then he gives us the grace. And then that peace, that whole idea of being content with whatever I, wherever I am with God. And that ebbs and flows. Sometimes God has greater blessings. Sometimes he has lesser blessings. But he wants us to be content. And the hard part, sometimes I've found in my life that it's actually harder to be content when you have more than when you have less. You know, because you're more dependent on God when you've got less. When you get more, you start worrying about what you have and you start buying nicer things because you've got to show off to everybody else in that same economic circle and... And you're always worried about different things, and yet the contentment is hard to be there. And money starts getting hold of you and becomes more or less an idol in you at various points in that time. Uh, so the idea of just being at peace. And I love being at peace. And we were talking a lot about that just before we even started. Peace. The, the world does not have a lot of peace in their life. They're worried. They're worried about everything they possess because it's their stuff. It's not God's stuff. They're worried about how they look to others because they don't have a standard of I am in Christ and, and, and where God wants me to be. There's all of this pressure upon somebody and the contentment's not there, the peacefulness isn't there. And God is saying, you are my child. The idea that there's nothing in this world that can happen to me unless God allows it to happen gives me a lot of peace because I don't have to worry about it. And even if he lets something come my way, it's still something he is trying to use to grow me. Now, I may fail the test and grumble and gripe about that, about that test, but in the long run, it was still something God used to, to test me. And we, if we just focus on him and say, okay, God. You know, and I've even said it on occasion, and this is one of the things I will say, God, I really don't understand how this can be for good, but you've promised it. I'm going to accept it. Please calm me down and bring me back the peace even though I don't understand what's going on because I know that it is for good. May not be for my good, may not be for, but maybe for somebody else to see and, and use as good, but it is for good. And this is why we've got to know the word of God so that when things happen to us, we have his word to come back to. We can come back and say, there's no temptation overtaken us, but such is common to man, but God is faithful who will not suffer us be tempted above that which we are able to withstand, but will provide a way of escape. So when we're in hard times, we go, okay, God, show me the escape, which is Jesus Christ. 
when bad things seem, when things seem to be bad happening to me, we I, we can quote Romans eight twenty eight for all things work together for good for those that are called according to the purpose of God, and we say, okay, God, even if I don't see it, it's for good. We can we know that when somebody dies who's a Christian, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints, and why? Because to be absent from the body is to be present with God. You know, so as soon as I step out of this body. I am in God's presence, and there's no better place to be. So death is a great thing for us as Christians. It gives us great hope. And as Paul said, while, I'm, while God's got something for me to do here, I, I'm, it's good to be here. As soon as I don't have anything to do, God, take me home. I want to be with you, and he will, because our days on life will be through. But while there's somebody that we're ministering to, somebody that we're teaching, somebody that we're reaching or can reach, God's going to leave us here so we, and to, to fulfill that ministry. When it's done, he's going to say, come on home, you're done. Paul said, I run the race, I am, I, am, I am finished. And then he said, it's time to go home. And we step out of this world into, into God's kingdom. And that's where it's so precious, is to know where we're at. I don't have to worry about when I die, what's going to happen. You know, Am I going to be good enough to go to heaven or am I... Or am I going to be annihilated or, or start a new life all over again? Or all the different thoughts that are out there. You know, from, from the whole idea of you're just totally, this is it. Once you're gone, you're gone. You're dead. You're, you don't exist anymore to getting into Eastern religions where you keep coming back over and over and over and over again until you get it perfect, which is really scary. Seems like we can never get it perfect. Uh, so... All of these things that happen out there, all of those, all the ideas that we are his beloved. He cares about us. Just as any of us would care for somebody that we really love, God cares for us in that way. He will give us what is good for us. He will protect us. Uh, you know, there was an old, the old chivalry thing where the, where the man would walk on the side closest to the street of the street so that if anything happened, he got hit or hurt rather than rather than the girl that he was with. Uh, you know, all the different things that have gone about you know, involved with that, that you protect those that you love. And the, the father will, will protect his family, you know, get up in the middle of the night with the gun or the baseball bat and defend his family from intruders. Uh, you know, go out and defend, you know, defend. So important for that to happen that a man does that stuff for their loved ones, God does the same thing because we're in his image. He will protect us. He will guide us. He will allow us to go through certain things, and we, and we hopefully have done that with our kids as they were growing up. As my kids got older and older, I gave them more and more chances to make mistakes while I was still there to help pick up the pieces from them. Because if you tell a teenager, no, you can't make any mistakes, then you're telling them that the only time they're going to make mistakes is when they leave home, and that doesn't work. You know, that's not a good time. It's better that when you're still there and you can help pick up the pieces... And God does the same thing with us. He allows us to make some mistakes, and then he helps us pick up the pieces and grow. Because he knows that we're going to make mistakes. He knows that we're human. He knows that we are going to do things wrong. Uh, we as Christians understand that. The problem is sometimes the world doesn't understand it. They look at us and say, well, how could you do something like that? Well, because I'm only human. You know, and it doesn't make a good excuse, and it makes a bad witness, and it does harm, harm the witness of Christ, but unfortunately, we are human beings, and we will make mistakes. 
the key is that we make should make less and less mistakes as we walk with God. And he get gets experience. We get experience, but even more than that, it's him filling us more and more. And the more he fills us, the less mistakes we should be making because the more he will work out of our life. And the more he's working out of our life, the more perfect our life will become. Not because it's me, because I can't be perfect, but because he is living out of through me. I like to learn from mistakes of others. And that's a good thing to do too, learn from others' mistakes. And I said, I'm not doing that because I'll end up in the same boat they're in. I've always had that saying that you say, learn from the mistakes of others so you yeah. don't fall into the pit. That they're and, in. and that's what I always taught my kids, learn from others' mistakes that way you don't have to go through them. Yeah. Which puts us on a higher level. And you see what the results of their mistakes are. But it also is what we do is we raise our kids. Hopefully, you know, a lot of parents are afraid to share any mistakes they made as they were learning. But oftentimes it's much better for us. You know, son, I, son, daughter, I don't want you to do this because I did this and this is where it led to. And try to help them to learn from our mistakes and, and start at a higher place. And this is where it's important. We let God live through us. And we can be humble enough to say, hey, I make mistakes. Because you never want to see somebody lifted up because if they're lifted up, they're going to fall. And if they get lifted up really high, they've got a hard fall, a long fall to make. And so it's very important to understand that all Christians, all leaders, all, all the people we look at have feet of clay. They're going to fall. They're going to, they're going to make mistakes. Even though they may have many areas in their life where they're strong, there's other areas they're going to fall in. And if we have this idea that they're perfect, then we're going to be shocked when they make mistakes and it's going to hurt. And this is why we need to be humble before one another. We need to realize that they're, they're there by the grace of God. And leaders are just leaders because that's what God's gifted them to do. They can be role models to a degree. And then they fail you. you know? But you have to be careful how much of a role model you make them to be. Because right. if you put them too high on a pedestal and they fall, then you're, then you're going to be suffering from it. But if you realize that you know, Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he, he put that little tag on there as a, as a warning. If I'm go following Christ, then follow me. Do what I do. If I'm going wrong, don't follow me. See? Yeah. And uh, it's very important because it is so easy to fall. It is so easy to make mistakes because we are flesh and blood and we're not perfect. None of us is perfect. If you come across any, especially leader who thinks, who's trying to make it look like they are perfect, you probably want to stay away from that leader because they are going to fall, and they're going to hurt a lot of people when they fall. And whether and that would be anybody who's doing that. And especially in the Christian world, if you've got somebody who's trying to think that they've got all the answers, they're they're perfect, because if their answers aren't rooted in the Word of God, they're bad answers anyway. And if, if they keep going, this is what you're supposed to do, you've got you've to run your life this way because, no, that's, that's trying to control people, and that's not good. If you're learning from the Word of God, and you're hearing from the Word of God, and you're applying it to the Word of God, that's fine. But if you start trying to just live up to somebody's expectations, then you're giving them the charge over you, and that's not right because it's God who has to have the charge. Now, God's man or woman will speak for God and give good, good, godly advice. And as long as it's rooted in the Word of God, you can say, okay, this is good, I should do this. But as soon as they start trying to control you, then they're outside of God's will. You know, it's got to be from God. 
and you've got to know that it's from God. And your spirit will testify that it's from God. Even if you're in sin and, and not wanting God, when you hear God's word, there's that little voice inside of you that says, this is, this is God's word. This is what he wants you to do. And very important, we listen for those kind of, those kind of things. And Ephesians 5. Verse 1 and 2. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savior, savor. And this is that whole idea. Be followers or imitators of God as the beloved children. Yeah. And God wants us to be followers of him. To the best of our ability, we're to imitate him. And that comes from him filling us so much that we become like him. And that is when people really notice. That's when people really notice the difference is when it really is God living out of us. Because people see phonies. People see it when it's just an act. And, you know, it's, it's sad sometimes to see somebody who is sitting there just, just putting on an act, you know, and you can just... You see right through them and you're going, who do you think you're fooling? And unfortunately, sometimes they are fooling people. But we're to follow God because we're his beloved children. And we've talked a little bit about this when we talked about being in the family of God. When you're in a family, you start talking like the rest of the family. You start acting like the rest of the family. And usually it's the, the parents that you're, you're imitating because, well, they taught you how to talk. They taught you how to think. They, they're the one that showed you how to react in a certain situation. Uh, you know, they are discipling you. Whether they know it or not, they're discipling you. They're, they're teaching you how to think, act, and talk. And hopefully they're discipling you in a godly <laughs> manner. But this is how you react. You know, we see it. You can see it when, when somebody's pulled over by the police. How do they react? How did their parents react? You can see that they will react the way their parents did. I've been around people who, when they get pulled over, they're cussing and swearing, and, you know, this cop is bothering me. And then there's this, the other side of things where, okay, I was doing wrong. I, I've been pulled over, and you're respectful to the police officer. And, you know, and this goes all the way down the line. You know, we talked on Sunday morning, what do we do if we're given too much change from the store? The world will tell you, just keep it. They made a mistake, it's, you know, uh, losers, losers, weepers, and whatever the winners, you know, finders, keepers, losers, weepers, whatever that statement is, that's the world's view. I got it, it's mine. And, and from the Christian side, it's like, oh, I better give it back to them. It belongs to, it doesn't belong to me. And this is where you get the whole view. There's two ways of looking at everything. Well, one right way and a multitude of wrong ways to look at something. <laughs> there's God's way of doing things, and then there's all the other ways that the world puts in our, puts in our, in our path. And we want to be careful because we want to live according to God's laws. The only way we can get into God's laws and, and know them is by getting into his word, getting into learning how he thinks. And that means reading it ourselves, teaching it is the best way, to, you know, find somebody to teach it to, be taught by others, whether that's in the church with a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or listening to good Bible teachers on the radio or TV and being filled with, you know, getting the knowledge that way. But we need to get into his word to know what he thinks. 
And again, as I've, as I've said before, if you're, if you're listening to a teacher and you're finding that they're off into left field, they're not following the Bible or telling you to listen to them because, just because, then don't listen to that teacher anymore. And I, I've found teachers like that in my lifetime. There's some teachers that I just will not listen to. Uh, not all of, but a majority of the television preachers I won't listen to because I've found that what it seems like all they want is either the prosperity gospel message or give me all your money. Uh, and so I listen to radio preachers, but I don't like all radio preachers because they get off from the scriptures at times. And, you know, all of us can get off. And that, I don't take them on one time that they get off because... I go, okay, I can understand that. I'm sure I have made many mistakes as I've taught or said something I hadn't really meant to say because my tongue got tied around my teeth and I didn't, didn't say, say what I wanted to say. And, you know, and that's the problem sometimes with this idea of taping everything because whatever I say is out there forever, which it was anyway in, in, God's, in God's sight. But the key to this is God is saying his word is true. It builds up. It does not fail. It will teach us how to live in this life. Even in this 21st century life that seems so different from the, the days that the Bible was written in, but it's really not because God's truth is true. You know, it's amazing sometimes when, when so you'll hear some news report saying, this new discovery from, the, you know, from you know, something or other, and they'll talk about it, and I'm going, well, the Bible said that you know, 3,000 years ago. What, what's so new about it? But, you know, man is just catching up with what God said. And, you know, it, and it's bizarre because it's like, all you have to do is study God's word and you, would, you wouldn't have to spend millions of dollars finding that out. Uh, but God is saying, be followers of him. Followers of him. Be as, be as close to him as we can. Walk in love as Christ has loved us. And that is something we probably can't do in the ultimate, to love as he loves. Be able to forgive people and just be kind to people and be humble. And then it goes even further and has given himself as an offering and a sacrifice. And we've been studying in, in Exodus and Leviticus, we kind of understand the difference. An offering is just anything I give to God that's his. A sacrifice is something that is going to die before God and it's going to be burnt and, and, and cut up and and made into a sacrifice. And then it says, for a sweet-smelling savor. <laughs> and we've talked about that. That's that tranquil, quieting smell that God smells when he says, okay, they've been willing to give this up to me. They're lifting me up. And it soothes his anger, and it soothes his, his place. It's a sweet-smelling uh, smell. And it's like, all right, I'm ready. And when God sees us willing to sacrifice ourselves, willing to be an offering so that others can see Christ in us, it is something that seems to please him. And he says, this is what I want. And it's what draws other people to him. Because people look at us, and, and for many people that are lost, we're as much Bible as they're going to see. We're the epistles up to them. We lift up Christ to them. And it really becomes important what picture of Christ do people see when they see us? Do they see somebody who's got a bunch of rules and regulations and if you don't do things just right, you're not accepted? Or do they see Christ's love through us? Saying, 
we don't want you to go to hell. That's where you're headed. But God wants you to accept the sacrifice that he made to come to him. And that's the key that people are looking for. What are we showing people? Are we being people that show this mean, angry, upset God because rules aren't being followed? Or do we, are we showing them a God that loves them in spite of who they are? Yes, he has rules. Yes, he has regulations. But he's not worried about that. He's worried about obedience to him more than, than the sacrifice and, the, and, the, and all. He just wants us to be able to come to him in love and accept that sacrifice that he made. And then he'll change who we are. And this is why I keep telling people oftentimes, we as Christians tend to want to worry about let's get the person good and then we can get them saved rather than let's get them saved, then let God worry about getting them good. And this is what's very important is I'm not sitting there saying, okay, you've got to stop drinking, you've got to stop doing your drugs, you've got to stop doing all the stuff you're doing wrong. No. Come to Christ. He loves you. He's forgiving you. Now, once he is part of you, once he is in your life, then he will come in and he will change the individual. Sometimes very quickly, sometimes over a long period of time, but he does it in his speed and his time. But he is the one that will change people once he's in their heart. And this is why we, we need to go out and just love people. Show them God's love and say, God loves you. He died for you. He died for your sins so that you could be forgiven. We're done early, but we're going to end here. All right, thank you. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we've had to come before you and ask that you give us a great rest of the week and services and follow and chances offered to speak about you and to you for other pe with other people. In Jesus' name, amen.